All right, so it's great to see you, man, riding, riding the waves these days, just like all of you. Some of us are on the surfboard, some of us are in a dinghy, some of us um, feel like we have one of those old school life preservers that just are floaty things that go around your neck. But we're in this together, which is a blessing. I just want to say, you know, the last couple of messages, we have noticed that the projector clarity hasn't always been wonderful. And so we're working on that issue. One of the blessings of this building is that it has a ton of skylights, which makes it really nice to be in here. One of the drawbacks for that is it takes a little bit more management to control what the projector looks like depending on the weather and the season. And so we're on that. And if it's really under your skin about the, um, the projector, I just encourage you to close your eyes while you're watching here or just listen to it. Or the other thing you can do is grab a ukulele and join the worship team because they get to be here and actually be in this beautiful building and work on their suntan some morning just by sitting in the right chair. So we're in this sermon series. We're going through the fruit of the Spirit from the book of Galatians. The overarching name of this is Jesus loves me, this I know, and the Spirit helps me grow. And wanting to hold together this truth that as we believe in the love of God expressed to us through Jesus coming and suffering and dying and rising again in order to bring us back to God, the Holy Spirit is sent into our hearts and into our midst to transform us to become like Jesus. And The fruit of the Spirit is one expression of how God wants to transform his people in order to be like him and spread his kingdom in the world. And today we're looking at the fruit of the Spirit, which is patience. And the title of this individual message is called Long Anger. So I'm going to read the fruit of the Spirit again from Galatians chapter 5. And we will roll from there. I'll start in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. They are opposed to each other to keep you from doing whatever things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Selah. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Father, would you give us something we, we could never earn or deserve? Would you climb into our brains and our hearts by wood spirit and rewire how we see the world, see ourselves, and see others 
Would you transform us from the inside out to be in step with what you're doing, to walk by the Spirit, to be like you and do like you and feel like you and think like you? Lord, would you re-envision us as individuals and as a church for your purpose and your mission in these days so that we can be fruitful with joy and transform people's lives and see people come into your kingdom and to be a blessing to you and pleasing to you with our faith and do all these things just by grace so that when it's all over, we can turn to you and say, hooray, you did it. And I ask this for Jesus' name's sake. And all God's people said, Amen. So I had this really uh, interesting... Here's a cat story. It's not made up. I had this interesting experience this week. I, my routine in the morning is to load up three of our children and drive them to school and then drive to work um, each morning. It's very routine. Monday through Friday, that's my job. And so when I arrived at the building this, that, this one morning, I think it was Wednesday... I heard this weird sound that I usually don't hear. And it sounded like cat mewing. Just like, mew, mew. <laughs> just like a nice little, not scratchy cat attack you, but just like, mew, mew. <laughs> and I thought to myself, that's really weird. And then I thought to myself, oh my goodness. In, I've seen before where cats have gotten stuck in cars. And so I popped the hood of my car and opened it up. And on top of the engine block, and there's one of these plastic coverings, so it wasn't super hot. On top of the engine block was this little adolescent, half-kitten, half-grown-up cat, charcoal gray, with those big eyes, kitten, that was on top of my engine. And it was like, mew, mew. It just looked at me like, what just happened there? It looked like an animal that had just received its lifetime supply of PTSD. It was just looking there, and I kind of reached for it to get it, and it crawled into the engine, and then it managed to scoot away and disappeared. But I was looking at this thing going, oh my goodness, this thing had obviously been in the under the hood of my engine since I left that morning. And I rem- then I was remembering, okay, it was a cold morning, so the cat probably snuck underneath the engine block just to get out of the weather and was just hiding in this nice, safe place, you know, metal all around, and no one can get it. Nice, safe, secure, everything's going to be fine. And then at some moment, I s- remote started my car, which is probably when it first started to shout that something was wrong. Remote started the car, so by the time I got it, and that was a good solid five minutes, the kids were waiting in there. It was just ready to go, so I drove all all the way, you know, dirt road from my house. So that probably wasn't pleasant. Then to the school, and then all the way back to the church. So that's like a solid 20 minutes of driving before the engine turned off and this thing got to start saying, what just happened here? Which is, I think, what I understood the mewing meant. (laughs) What just happened? What just happened? What just happened? And then this giant monster started opened up the hood and tried to kill it. It's sure. And it ran away, but we tried to catch a little bit earlier, and it literally climbed, um, it like free soloed up one of the exterior walls of the church and then jumped off and ran away. And we never caught it. But for me, it was this great lesson that sometimes when you're seeking out a nice, safe, comfortable place, it can turn into a horrible experience. That's what this cat's that's what this cat learned. Sometimes the best, safest place you think you can spend the night is this this crazy, noisy succession of explosions happening right underneath you and then getting hauled off to some place you never wanted to go.
poor cat. And I'm a cat lover now. True confessions. Uh, Frodo, our cat, has totally changed my attitude towards cat. They are one of the better pets you can have. As long as you don't mind getting scratched and you enjoy watching an animal chew the head off of a mouse. If those are things that float your boat, you will enjoy a cat. And they float my boat for sure, for sure. Anyhow, long story short, a great reminder that even for kittens, sometimes when you think you've got things all set up just right, disaster can strike and things can go completely differently than the way you wanted to. We're talking about patience today. And the Greek word for patience is macrothumia. And I feel like I've preached a message on this before. I've started having some deja vu for doing this. So if this sounds too familiar, please forgive me. But maybe this is something you need to hear. And literally it means long anger or long passion. Macro means big or long. And thumia means passion. It's a strong emotion. And so this fruit of the spirit that's being talked about here is the supernaturally grown capacity to wait and persevere without exploding or melting down, without being overtaken by your passions, without being overtaken by your anger. It's a mixture of being able to wait in a situation that's uncomfortable, to stay still, to sit, to be patient. Sometimes that's the main meaning of it. Other times, it's this capacity to persevere or endure when things are uncomfortable, unpleasant, and not going the way you would want them to. The opposite of macrothermia is exploding or quitting. That's the opposite of this fruit of the Spirit. A mixture between waiting and persevering. And boy, if last time I spoke and uh, peace was... Uh, or Sorry... It, this, this patience, this is one of these fruit of the Spirit that I don't think most people would highlight as their top three fruits of the Spirit they would want to grow in. Man, love is pretty awesome. We love love. Love is so lovey. Love is a lovey thing. It's beloved by the, those who love. Joy is amazing. Who doesn't want more joy? Peace is wonderful. Who doesn't want more peace? Patience? Huh. Huh. Because what's the cost of growing in patience? You can't grow in patience without something you need patience for. Amen? You can't grow in being long-suffering without something to suffer through. You can't grow in persevering without something unpleasant to persevere through. And so here we are with this, this characteristic that the almighty God of the universe says, this is on my hit list to create in you as you walk by me, as you believe in Jesus, as I want to fulfill my plan to make you just like me. Here is this characteristic of patience. And we already know right off the bat that there's a cost to it. Now the reality is all fruit of the Spirit has a tremendously weighty cost to, to grow in. All Christ-likeness is the, on the other side of a cost. But this one, I think, highlights it for me. And so we can be less excited about growing through this. Now, two things that I've been meditating on as I've been thinking about long anger, macrothumia, of growing in the, this blend of being able to wait upon the Lord in an unpleasant and undesirable situation, or the ability to persevere in a task or a situation when things aren't going the way I'd want them to. Two thoughts I've been thinking about that I want to share with you right off the bat. This isn't the whole message, but two initial thoughts. Number one, 
I want to just encourage myself to believe that the, the, the works of the flesh that we read about, all these works of the flesh, which are the enemy of the spirit, they either are impatience or are a response to a situation that we're being impatient about. When the scripture says the works of the flesh are against the spirit and the works of the, spe- the fruit of the spirit is against the flesh, they're saying these are opposite experiences of life. And so I think about this list, this list that, that we're given here that aren't all the works of the flesh, I'm sure, but a lot of them. Sexual immorality is about impatience. It's about um, not being able to wait on God in a situation, not being able to persevere in resisting temptation. Impurity is about impatience. Sensuality is about impatience. Idolatry is about impatience. It's, a, it's looking at your life and saying, the God of the universe is not showing up for me the way I want to. So I'm going to find myself a different God that I expect will show up for me in the way I want to. It's an impatience. Sorcery is an impatience. My prayers aren't being answered. The spiritual power I want in life is not coming to me the way I want it to, how I want it to, when I want it to. There must be a magic spell I can access what I want now through. In Glorium Livioso or whatever the Lego movie <laughs> likes to joke about with that stuff. Can't I just grab a stick and say something in Latin and have what I want happen now? Enmity is about impatience. It's about being in an unpleasant relational situation and choosing to have an enemy instead of waiting on God and persevering through pain to the hope that your enemy will be changed into your family. Strife is about impatience. Jealousy is about impatience. It's not having something that somebody else has and thinking, I'll just be jealous for it because I'm not willing to wait on God or to persevere on God through it or to find out that God's answer is no, but he has a better yes about something. Anger is about impatience. Rivalry is about impatience. Dissensions are about impatience. I just think there's something healthy about thinking through this list of the flesh and seeing how all of this list is somehow connected to not walking in the Spirit. It's unloving. It's unjoyful. It's unpeaceful. It's impatient. It's not good. It's not gentleness. It doesn't display self-control and every other one that I missed. And I think when we're experiencing impatience, we need to be on guard. What is the work of the flesh that I am tempted to do because I don't want to wait on the Lord? The other thing I've been thinking about, and this one's probably the bigger one, so there you go. If that one already was a yauchi, then follow me here. I have been trying to f- meditate on why I can be so impatient in life. Because I am impatient. I'm an impatient person. I want to figure out what the solution is to a problem, and then I want to s- present that solution, and then I want that solution acted on right away. I don't like problems. I don't think like things not working. I don't think like things not being right or true. I want to solve that right now, and it's not always a blessing how I've tried to go about it. But as I think about my own heart and my own soul, I think ultimately the reason Rob gets impatient is just simply pride. So often in the situations I'm in in life, now this may not be you, but you're welcome to think about your own heart. I respond badly to stuff because deep down, I'm convinced that I'm much too good for God's plan for my life. I'm far too important to go through what he wants me to go through. I'm just better than this. I'm better than what I'm called to be patient about. 
And God doesn't get it that I deserve better. <laughs> so humiliating. Something goes wrong. There's a cat in your engine. That was mostly funny. Something goes wrong. And we respond like, God, I deserve better than having things not go my way. And if there's a problem with how the world is right now, it's your problem to fix. Because I'm too good for this. I think that's the truth about Rob Belfort's impatience. Uh, it's, it's just pride. I, I don't want to have to serve through this. I don't want to have to suffer through this. I don't want to have to sacrifice through this. I don't want to have to yield to your will. I don't want to have to yield to somebody else's will, for goodness sake. I don't want to have to have a loss. I've got plans. I've got desire. I've got things set out in my head about how they could be better or best. And to have them not happen right now, I can't be the problem. You're the problem. And it's just so often it's pride. It's an unwillingness to submit to the reality that God has willed to happen. I don't want to wait. I don't want to hurt to make something happen. I, I have this little Veruca salt in my soul that wants an egg now. I want the world. I want the whole world. Anybody? Nobody? Somebody? Yeah? She's she's 100% impatient. And, <laughs> sorry, you might have to watch the show. How does she treat her dad? Daddy, now! I want that golden ticket now! She has no macrothemia. And so this is me. And as I was reading through Galatians this morning, I just ended up there this morning. I, I, I think I saw something about walking in the fruit of the Spirit that I maybe haven't been emphasizing enough. And that's this. In order to get to chapter 5, where Paul is talking about walking in the Spirit and displaying love and displaying joy and displaying peace and displaying patience and knowing it together as a community, going through the hardships of being the church in a fallen world. In order to get to chapter 5, you first have to go through chapter 2. And in order to get through chapter 2, you have to hear Paul say this in verse 20, where he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself up for me. I don't nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness could come through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. But in order to get to the fruit of the Spirit, you have to go through the cross of Christ. You have to go through, I have died to the world, and all of my treasure is in the love of Jesus. All of my life is faith in the one who loved me. And I've just been seeing it like how, how maybe you're like me, maybe you're not. I hope you're not for your own sake. I hope you're listening to this going, who is this bozo and how does he get paid by a church? I hope that's your experience. But so often it's just like, I hope I can grow in the Holy Spirit without the cross, without a cost, without pain. I... So I was working on this whole like 
revival online series. Did anybody see any of these things? I was praying for it and I was doing for it. And I ran into this one event about two weeks into it that just kind of <laughs> got me down to size. And I'm still praying for revival of the church, but I'm praying for it a little bit different. I was listening. You guys know I like Navy SEAL stuff. And so I was listening to this Navy SEAL do a podcast ex-Navy SEAL, and somebody was asking him, hey man, why don't you tell more awesome stories about Heck Week and about your time in training as a Navy SEAL? Because it would be so great if you told more awesome stories about being a Navy SEAL. More people would want to join the Army and become a Navy SEAL. And it would like win people, right? You tell these awesome stories about what you do, and then as people are like, hear these awesome stories, they'll want to join you in what you did. And his response just killed me. He's not even a Christian, but it killed me. He said, Something along the lines of, you can't tell stories about training to get people to be soldiers. They need to know two things. In order to be a soldier, you need, to, one, you need two things. Number one, you need to be willing to kill. And number two, you need to be willing to die. That's the reality. Great stories about push-ups and fire hoses and being in the ocean that doesn't make you a soldier like to be a soldier you need to be ready to kill somebody when you're ordered to by your commander and you need to be willing to die when your boss tells you to your boss might say go take that building i'm expecting one out of every hundred of you of surviving this and you need to be ready to say sir yes sir right away sir how high sir That's the cost. That's the cost of being a soldier. You need to be willing to kill and you need to be willing to die. And whenever I hear about people and especially non-believers coming to this place of totally embracing self-sacrifice, I'm floored as a Christian. Because the reality is in order to be a Christian, you need to be willing to kill your sin wherever you find it, whenever you're told, and you need to be post having died for Jesus. We as Christians shouldn't even say to each other, you need to be willing to die for Christ. If you haven't already died to yourself, you're not a Christian. Right? We have joined with Jesus on the cross by faith. We've already died. And so if I'm trying to keep my life, I'm actually trying to undo, swim against the current of my rebirth. And then this just totally blows my mind about about what the Christian life is meant to be. Lisa, you you beautifully read for us Romans chapter 8, the high point of Scripture. If God is for us, who could be against us? If God didn't even spare his own son, what else won't he give us? The whole universe is ours. And then a few chapters later, after dealing with um, what to make of unbelief amongst the Israelites in their current age and to have hope for a, a gigantic inpouring of believers amongst the Israelites at some time before Christ's return, in chapter 12 he says, Verse 1, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So after all the awesome, all the forgiveness, all the justification, the outpouring of the Spirit, everything good God has for us, what do we do? We take the knife, we plunge it in, and we do this with every single day of the rest of our lives. That's what it means to be a Christian, to be always dying in worship for God. 
And when I'm impatient, let's bring this back. When I'm impatient, it's like, get that altar away from me, man. I want to do this without the knife. I see it in my heart, and ultimately it's just pride. I hope your experience of life is so much different than mine, but I have to own this. Two expressions of macrothemia. Sorry, flesh is impatient. We just finished that one. The first is learning to wait, and especially learning to wait on God. Our Father is so good and so strong, and He has a plan, and He loves us. And one of the things we can learn to grow in maturity of God and to walk in the Spirit is just to learn that often the fulfillment of His best plans involve waiting for Him to do it. That's a reality. Often, when we're in a situation where we want to be impatient, where we want to blow up or quit, the price of actually seeing God do what he could do is to wait for him to do it. That doesn't always mean just sitting around. We be faithful each day. We do that living sacrifice. But to realize that 95% of what we could want God to do is something that he has to do alone that we can't make happen by the flesh. And so, so much of life, especially when things are uncomfortable, is learning the skills of waiting on God. Psalm 37. The psalmist there, lost my Bible, teaches people how to wait on God when it seems like the world is being run by baddies. Anybody ever worried that the world is in the control of the worst of us? Amen? Amen? Just read a news story the other day that... um, a world superpower that is not known for its track record on human rights, that their goal is within the next nine years to be able to use um, the, the cameras that they have set out throughout every major city in the country to read people's emotions every day of their life to try to guess if they're thinking about doing anything against the government. So they would use high-definition cameras to read people's faces, to measure their pores, to measure their emotions, so that if they think that someone in their country might be thinking about doing something against the government, before they even do it, they can get them, just from having artificial intelligence computers trying to learn the signs that people give when they're not being 100% for the government. Would that make anybody worried? To think that, like, this webcam is being used right now, to measure whether or not I should be in jail for something I've never done? Somebody? Anybody? Psalm 37. Do not fret yourself because of evildoers. Do not be envious of wrongdoers. For soon they will fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. He goes on from there. This whole psalm is about how to wait on God with faith while it looks like the baddies are in control. And part of it is just going, hey, if you wait on God, you'll outlast everybody. If you wait on God, you'll still be here when they're gone. And maybe they will kill you, but someday you're going to get your body back and you can spend the first million years of eternity laughing at everybody who thought they beat you. Psalm 40 is a little bit similar there. 
is learning to remember that God shows up for people who wait on the Lord. Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. I don't know. It'd be easy to guess that maybe even a quarter of all psalms are about David learning to wait on God to rescue him. Things that we can do to learn to grow in our waiting on God is to learn to have a bigger perspective like Psalm 37. Learn to remember that God has been faithful before and he will do it again like in Psalm 40. Learn to lament. Some of us need to get way better at yelling to the Lord our problems while we're driving around in a car where nobody else can hear us. And maybe nobody watching us at a stoplight wondering whether or not they need to phone it in. Do you know what I mean? Like our souls need to be able to lament, to tell God, this sucks and this stinks and this is horrible, but to get it out with God so that we're not making it a burden to other people or leaving our hearts open for satan and the flesh to take control to learn to commit to prayer how many times has the government come out with a thing (laughs) that we have not been blessed by and our response was three days of fasting to learn to respond to God by waiting on him with hardcore prayer. And I'm telling you that because I do know one guy at least right now who I felt kind of like a little bit slammed for. We were talking about one theological discussion. He had a question for me. The next thing I heard, he's like, I started three days of fasting in order to find some answers about this thing that we were talking about. I was just like, bah! Part of waiting on God is to learn not to be passive in waiting, but to be a prayer in waiting. And part of learning to wait on God is to learn not to strike the rock. You guys might remember the story of Moses from the book of Numbers. This was later on in his ministry. Guys, Moses had to be so patient. He was sent by God to rescue Israel out of Egypt. And then it turned out for the rest of his life, the worst thing that ever happened to him was all those Israelites he had rescued out of Egypt. They didn't trust him. They always accused him of things. They tried to get him killed. They tried to get him fired. They just accused him of things. They tried to get him killed. They tried to run away. And then one time they're out of water, which is a legitimate need. Instead of waiting on the Lord in prayer, they come and attack Moses again. And God says, go and speak to the rock and water will come forth. And Moses is ripped. And so instead of speaking to the rock, he strikes it with his staff. And because he acted out of impatience and unbelief, God says to him, Moses, you're not going into the promised land now. That's, that's a, that's, wow. And Moses, even at the beginning of Deuteronomy, he allows himself a complaint against the people. I don't know if you caught this when you're reading this, but he says, hey, it's because of you guys I'm not going in. (laughs) You guys were so hard to lead, and I let myself get provoked, and I hit the rock, and now you guys are going in, and I'm not. And their impatience infected Moses with impatience, and he responded in a bad way, and he endured the consequences of it that's a big deal so part of the fruit of the spirit is going to be us coming to the lord and saying lord i'm yours i'm yours i'm in your situation i want to be a servant i want to give my response to you as a sacrifice back to you and here i am waiting on you i want to wait on you how do i wait on you well how do i um, keep my eyes on you to quote somebody who was leading worship earlier today how do i keep my eyes on you when nothing's changed yet how do i fellowship with you when nothing's changing yet how do i pour out my heart even the gross stuff to you when nothing's changing yet 
And how do I walk with you in this so I don't make things worse by my responses when nothing's changed? I will need supernatural power by the Holy Spirit to wait on you during this time. The other aspect of long anger that I was talking about is this ability to persevere in a direction when things are going bad. And this highlights like when you're doing something for the Lord and there's resistance or you're doing something for the Lord and it's not going well. You're doing something for the Lord and it's unpleasant and people aren't receiving it, but you're not called to give up. You're called to keep plodding. And so it's not like a stillness picture. It's a moving forward with opposition picture of long anger, of macrothemia. And there's just two scriptures that I want to bring out from... uh, the book of Second Timothy, that I think that we can use as encouragements for us as we want to persevere in this. You might remember the Apostle Paul's in prison for the umpteenth time, and this time he really is expecting that he's only going to get free by them hauling his body off of the execution block and throwing it in a grave somewhere. That's going to be his freedom. His head is going to be set free from his shoulders, and then he's going to be set free from the prison by putting him in a grave. That's the freedom he's anticipating. And he says this in chapter 2. He says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And this is the first mindset of somebody who loves macrothumia that I want to highlight here, is that Paul looks at himself in prison. He looks at himself in his suffering. He's anticipating, I'm sure with some stress, getting his head chopped off after a public denouncement from the judges. And he's thinking to himself, if I falter in my plans and my, and my walk with God now, I am going to cause people to not be in heaven. This is a thought some of us might wish that a certain evangelist was thinking to himself fairly recently. If I falter now, I am going to perhaps eternally wound people. Because even though these people are the elect, and if you want to talk about how elect and suffering go together, you know, Calvin and Arminism can fight over the body of Paul on this one a little bit. What you can't deny is that in the mind of Paul, he said, I am ready to suffer anything so that no Christian ever thinks worse of Christ because of me. And I read that and I'm just like, kill me now. Kill me now, Jesus, kill me now. Because that is not how Canadians live. Canadians don't live like, I would rather die than have anybody think worse of Christ because of me. I'll suffer anything, I'll be rejected anyway, I'll lose anything, so that nobody who comes and says I'm a Christian will ever have less faith in Jesus because of how I respond to life. And I I was, even this morning, I was nearly in despair because I was just thinking like, my whole soul has been so selfish my entire existence, Jesus. I don't know if I can ever begin to even get here. So that everything I do thinks, don't do that for the sake of my kids. Don't do that for the faith of my wife. Don't go there for the faith of my church. Don't go there for the faith of my city. Don't go there for the faith of people who watch me online. Don't do anything in response to suffering that's going to make anybody think Jesus is not glorious or worth it. 
Isn't that slaying? And then it comes back to my pride issue. So many situations, it's so easy to just be like, wham, what about me? Oh, Holy Spirit. And, and the thing that gets me is that I know there are people on the earth right now living this. In China, in Africa, South America, some Americans, I'm sure. But there are people on the earth right now in prison going, don't quit for the sake of the church. I want to, I want to be worthy of them. I want to be worthy of them. Not in a bad way, not in a salvation way. I just, I, w- I want to grow in being worthy of having such sisters and brothers on the planet. Thought number two. A few verses later, this same Paul, who lives as a living sacrifice to the Lord, in verse 23, Three, uh, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. There's your key verse. Correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. And here is Paul, going to die, talking to Timothy, probably also going to die, saying, Timothy, your spirit-led patience in the face of evil may result in your enemies coming to God. Wow. So don't get into foolish controversies. Don't get into foolish fights. Don't breed quarrels. The servant of God must not act like this. And this is my hope. You know, if you want to hang this call to spirit-led patience on one thing, I think it's this call to, in every situation, say, I'm the servant of the Lord. I'm the servant of the Lord. I accept my mission from his hand. I accept my situations from his hand. And whatever situation I'm in, I want to please him. I'm a servant of God. And that will lead us through. So let's wrap this up and the team can start getting ready to worship again. What can we do if we want to grow in this spirit-led patience? Well, the first task is always faith. Christian, through Jesus, you can grow to be amazingly patient, to not be always responding, but always be being led by the Spirit in all your situations. You can come, if you feel like you're an impatient person because of your circumstances or your family or your situation or your heart or your personality or your bent or your past or your traumas, whatever it is, you need to say to yourself today, no. I can become more and more like Jesus by faith in him and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the reality. So you can have faith for this. Number two, you can ask God to grow your faith by taking you on a patience journey. Get him to highlight one thing in your life that you maybe already know is a problem area and say, God, lead me in growth here so that I can be like the psalmist in Psalm 40 and say, I waited on God and he answered me. I waited on him and he did something. And your faith can grow as you see him doing the work in you. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you what thoughts spoil his walk in your life. 
life, there are almost always a thought that is the one that we're spazzing out about or we're quitting over. There's always a thought somewhere in there that isn't a thought from God. It's not a faith thought. It's a fear thought or whatever it is. Ask the Spirit to reveal these strongholds of unbelief and then be ravages. This this be unforgiving about. You know, Don't forgive your bad thoughts. Kill it. Kill it. Be willing to kill it. Be willing to die to see it dead. Go after every thought that robs you of the sweetness of walking with Jesus and being a living sacrifice. And then you can also envision yourself in the Lord producing this fruit. Whatever situation you see as a problem situation, why don't you actually envision it going better and asking God to produce that? And be patient with how you grow. But let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your power. I thank you so much for the cross of Jesus. And Father, I pray for you to totally renovate our hearts when it comes to patience, Lord. Would you help us to really embrace this ability to sacrifice with you with joy, knowing that responding well to unpleasantness is something you find such a love gift from your church. And Father, wherever we've been trapped and stuff, would you liberate us so we can be as fruitful as possible in our lives. In Jesus' name.